The book of Psalms has been called the praise book of ancient Israel. Others have referred to it as the prayer book of ancient Israel because of how much of it deals with prayer and reaching up to God. It's been called the heart of the Old Testament and the heart of the Bible. Interestingly enough, it appears right at the center of most English copies of the Bible. Spurgeon said about the Psalms, it's a paradise of devotion. It's the holy land of poetry. It's the voice of the saints. It's the map of human experience. As you read these ancient poems that make up our book of Psalms, you are encouraged. Your heart stirred, but you're also astounded. As you kind of wrestle with it and think to yourself, how could people from so long ago describe my present circumstances so accurately? Because that's exactly what the book of Psalms does. It seemed as if the book of Psalms was Jesus's favorite book. He quotes from the book of Psalms more than any other Old Testament book throughout his earthly ministry. He cited the Psalms when he was trying to convince people that he was and is the Christ based on Psalm 110. And as he was exiting this world at the end of his life, there they were still. The book of Psalms were on his lips. You read the Psalms and you say to yourself things like, I wish I had said that or I prayed prayers just like that. Because the psalmist and the Psalms that make up this book are written for us to know God, but also in order to nourish our souls. Now, there's much we could say about all 150 of the Psalms, but when we open up our Bibles to the first Psalm, Psalm 1, there's interesting things to be noted about it. Scholars have said if you make your way through the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, though it appears first in our Bible, probably was not the first Psalm written. The individual, whoever he was that composed the book at the end, probably takes Psalm 1 and puts it at the front of the Psalms in order to say to those of us that read it, this is a gateway into the other 149 poems that you'll read following it. This psalm is really at the head of the book as a wisdom psalm, much like the book of Proverbs, to say, if you choose the wise path of life laid out in Psalm 1, your life will be filled with glory, with praise, and with a nearness to God that is unmatched. The book of Psalms challenges us. It draws us in. But it starts in the first psalm. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to that psalm. This psalm gets us ready for the praise field and tearful ride that you make as you go through the psalm. And it draws us in to the life that we could just simply refer to the pathway of the blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also won't wither. Whatever he does will prosper. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. Psalm 1 gives us two avenues of life to look at, and throughout this psalm, he shows us what it means to live the best life. Notice he's vague. He doesn't say who it is. It's the man or the woman, the individual, as if to say to those of us who read it in 2023, it's open for anybody. This psalm, if you allow it to, could be describing you and it could be describing me. The choice is ours. And what does that life look like? Let's study this morning and notice the blessed life or the pathway that the psalmist gives us. Before we do that, though, let's first talk about what it means to be blessed. We first that's the first word in this psalm. He leads off with it. Blessed is the man or blessed is the individual. And our world is sort of taking this word blessed and running all sorts of directions with it. In 2014, there was an article in The New York Times entitled They Feel Blessed. And the author throughout this article was saying people in America use the word blessed to describe just about anything. 
from tickets to their favorite concert to the grocery store having their favorite food to landing a job, just about anything. And the author concludes with this sentence. He says, in the end, the word is flippantly thrown around so much that it's pretty much been stripped of its meaning. In the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there are two words typically used in Hebrew to describe blessed. Sometimes it's the word Barak, and that means God's giving you something. So think Abraham, Genesis 12 and verse three. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Sometimes God says, I'm going to bless your life. But then there are other times in the Bible when the word blessed or blessing refers to a type of person who enjoys a certain status because of how he or she lived. Blessed are the people whose God is Yahweh, Psalm 33 and verse 12. And that's how it's used in Psalm one. This psalm is not saying to you and to me, hey, if you do the following things, God's going to bless you. This psalm is saying the person that does these things already enjoys a certain status with God based on decisions he or she has made. It's saying to the individual that lives out Psalm 1 in a nutshell, they've already won whatever else happens in their life because of how they live. The word blesses you is the same way in Proverbs 31, 28 about the virtuous woman. Her children rise up and call her what? Blessed. Now imagine your mom makes your favorite meal, your favorite pie. Children rise up and call her blessed. They don't give her anything materially, but they give her her flowers of praise based on the skills she's exercised. This psalm starts off by saying blessed is the individual, happy or fortunate. It's the heavenly high five, the divine congratulations for the person that lives in this way. The psalmist is saying good for you if you go this way. No matter what else God gives you, this person is not blessed because of what God gives them, but based on how they behave. Their life is stamped with divine approval, not because everything has gone their way, but they've wisely chosen to follow God, even if it doesn't. And the psalmist says this can be true about us. And so what does that look like? Number one, the blessed life is the person that refuses the company of the wicked. In verse one, if you just want an outline of the sermon, keep your Bible open to Psalm one. He says, blessed is the individual that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't stand in the seat of scoffers or sit in the seat of the scornful. This person's delight is in the law of the Lord. The first thing this person does is refuses the company with the wicked, doesn't want to be in their presence. He's stamped with approval because of the way he chooses to live his life. It's Ephesians five in verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is not a person with his or her self-righteous nose stuck up in the clouds that has a holier-than-thou attitude. Instead, it's a person with a high level of spiritual sensitivity who makes it their highest aim to please God and to do so without compromise. This person wants to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, Ephesians 5 and verse 10, and they won't settle for anything less. If that's you, if that's me, the psalmist says our lives are marked by the divine congratulations, a high five. Blessed are you because you've chose wisely and you've chosen well. He or she avoids the company of the wicked. Notice the progression of verse one doesn't walk with them and then get comfortable enough to stand in their midst and ultimately to sit down in their presence, but instead chooses to go a different way entirely. And sometimes people choose the wicked way because everybody else is doing it. You know, groupthink is the idea that stifles creativity. Groupthink is used in companies, sometimes even in families, where people say we've all got to be on the same page and agree. Even if it hurts you, you don't get to think, you don't get to voice your opinion. What we want you to do is just go along with the crowd. Go along with what everybody else in the world is doing. One of the most disastrous accounts of groupthink happened in our country in 1986. It's been known as the Challenger Disaster. You remember this January 1986, the Challenger orbiter went up and it exploded in 73 seconds. All seven 
individuals on the spacecraft died. And as if that weren't tragic enough, it was said that it exploded because the primary and secondary orbiter in the machine ultimately was compromised. But engineers had suspicions before things took off, and they thought that they wouldn't go ahead with the launch. But there was pressure from our country, pressure from the world to be out in front, and they didn't want to disappoint the masses. And so they went along anyway. And as a result, seven people lost their lives. It was groupthink. It was walking and standing and sitting with everybody else, and it cost people their lives. The psalmist says the blessed person refuses to go along to get along because sometimes going with the flow causes us to fall flat on our faces. Moses says in the law, Exodus 23 and verse two, you will not follow a multitude to do evil. Doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. You go on the way of God. The blessed person, whenever wickedness calls, always sends her to voicemail because he knows what her end ultimately leads to. And so Solomon tells his son, beginning in Proverbs chapter one and verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't enter the way of the wicked. Don't walk on the way of the evil. Don't go on it. Don't pass from it. Don't look that way. Turn away and pass on. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. The Psalms open up by saying, congratulations. Blessed is this person that makes this wise decision. This isn't somebody who's kind of gone off into a monastery or into a convent away from the world. That's not God's will or desire. God does not want his people to live for him in a new world. He wants us to live in this world in a new way. And so Jesus would pray, sanctify them through the truth. Your word is truth. Don't take them out of the world. Keep them while they're in this one. And we'll have the pathway to the blessed life if we refuse the company of the wicked. It's the man who refuses to drink with everybody else at the job when they're knocking them back because, hey, after all, it's just the end of the year party, even though he knows first Peter four and verse three forbids Christians to engage in drinking parties. It's the woman who refuses to curse with her friends. Even though they think a little foul language enhances the humor of the joke because she knows Colossians 4 and verse 6 says your speech ought to always be seasoned with grace. It's the person that says I won't disrespect my parents just because that's how everybody else talks to theirs. Because Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 says they're worthy of honor and you're to do it because God says you should. It's the person that refuses to taint their soul with what the world calls entertainment, which ultimately will darken their soul and separate them from their God. First John one, five and six. If that's us and it can be, the psalmist says, congratulations, you're in great company. More than that, you're blessed. The world's pulling at people all the time, especially God's people. And the psalmist has enough courage and vitality and vigor to turn away. Congratulations. Blessed is the person who chooses wisely, who sees the wicked way and passes on because he or she knows the end. No fancy advertisement or shiny brochures can deceive the blessed man. He knows better. He knows that if he walks with the wicked and sits with the scornful and stands in their presence, their end will be his. And David says in Psalm 37, 9 and 10, you'll look for them, but you won't find them. They'll be destroyed and there'll be no more. This man, August Landmesser, is known for being the identified man in this strange Nazi photo. If you can't see him, he's right there. And he's the strange guy because everybody else in his shipyard was offering the Nazi salute and he refused. Landmaster was engaged to a Jewish woman and it was frowned upon. And so when everybody on his shipyard offered up the Nazi salute, he refused. He stuck out like a sore thumb. He looked strange, but he just couldn't walk and sit with their wickedness. In a world that blindly offers their salute to all manner of wickedness, the blessed person must stubbornly refuse to simply go along. The blessed person doesn't laugh when it's not funny. 
scratch when it doesn't itch, cough when he or she is not sick, or smile when the world engages in sinfulness. In a world that says, go along and be like everybody else, the psalmist says, be this man, be different, and as a result of that, be blessed. Psalm 73 and verse 25, Asaph says, Lord, who, am I, who have I in heaven but you? And there's no one on earth that I desire more than you. Forsake the fellowship of the wicked so that you can maintain fellowship with your God. Now, here's number two. The blessed person or the pathway to the blessed is someone who regularly engages in scripture. If you still have your Bible open, notice verse two. Instead of walking with the wicked, this person's delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. He meditates day and night. There's this regular engagement with scripture. As you read these words, your mind probably goes back to Joshua chapter one and verse eight. In Joshua chapter one, Joshua's told, go into Canaan, prosper and succeed. But it'll only happen. Joshua one and verse eight. If you take this book of the law and don't let it depart from you, do according to all that's in it, meditate in it day and night. You'll make your way prosperous and you will succeed. And the Psalms open up by saying this is also true of the blessed individual. He or she regularly engages scripture and meditates on it day and night. The practice of meditation in our country is in second place as far as new spiritual disciplines, only in second place to yoga. Some 37 million Americans are described as meditation enthusiasts. We're in second place only to India. They have about 80,000 people that engage in meditation. It's sort of triggered by Zen Buddhists and others, but the Eastern idea of meditation, where you sit on a mountain, cross your fingers and hum a little bit, is not the idea of Psalm 1 and verse 2 at all. Eastern meditation says, get off by yourself and empty your mind of everything. Biblical meditation says, fill your mind and think about scripture. And so Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, your word's a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Your word I've hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, Psalm 119, 11. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3 and verse 16. That's the biblical idea of meditation. The blessed person is not marked as God approved simply because he or she avoids all the bad things. But you must also engage in all of the good and rich things, primarily this exercise of scripture. Underline that in your Bible in verse two to meditate in the law of God day and night. It carries this idea of muttering something in an undertone. It's saying something sort of low and maybe only you can hear it, but it's going on over and over again. This same word is used in Isaiah 38 and verse 14 to talk about pigeons that are cooing. It's used for lions that growl in Isaiah 31 and verse 4. It's saying about this individual, the word of God just continues to come out of their mouth. It's like somebody that's in the car, they hear their favorite song on the radio or on their on their cell phone, and they just start singing it to themselves. And then they go in Kroger. They wouldn't dare do this out loud for everybody else to hear, but they're kind of mumbling it to themselves even there. And when the day ends, they get in the shower and the song crops up again and they find themselves singing it again, rehearsing for the concert that will really never happen. But the song is there and it sticks. And so they mumble it and they meditate. The psalmist says, blessed is the person that does that with the word of God. The word of God is in his heart. His steps will not slide. Isaiah or Psalm 37 and verse 31. This idea of meditation appears in a lot of passages, but primarily Psalm 119. Notice what the psalmist says. The person that is blessed meditates and keeps God's precepts in his ways. Psalm 119 and verse 15. He says, I'll delight in your statutes, meditate on your ways. I will not forget your word. He meditates on all of God's wondrous works. Psalm 119 and verse 27. He rises early in the morning to meditate and rehearse and think on the law of God. Question, does this describe you and does it describe me? 
Do we have a regular encounter with the word of God? This is far beyond simply doing our daily Bible reading. It's saying we want the word of God to be our food and our drink, and we want it to direct every single thing that we do. Biblical meditation, as far as it relates to intake and with the scriptures, is sort of like brushing your teeth. You just do it every day. And if you miss the day, even if nobody else knew it, you would know it and that would be enough. It's just a part of this person's life. Job 23 and verse 12, Job says, I've sought the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. I've just got to have it. And if you do this, your life will be crowned as blessed. It's the person that says, let this ancient text teach me how to live in a modern world. Psalm 119 and verse 18, the psalmist says, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things out of your law. The blessed person, instead of walking, standing and sitting with the wicked everywhere he or she walks, stands and sits, they keep the word of God lodged in their hearts. Now, you might be saying, how do I do this? How do I practice biblical meditation in this way? Here are some ideas for us. Number one, what if you had a verse of the week? You had a verse of the week. I'm not talking about the congregation. I'm talking about you as an individual. You're struggling with something with doubt or maybe you're wondering, why did I get baptized? You pick a verse and you take that verse and you can use it as your screensaver on your phone or write it on the index card. Every time you see it, you recite it. You put it on the fridge. It's your verse of the week. And every week you pick a new verse and you try to continue to ruminate it and work on it in your mind. If you did that at the end of the year, you'd memorize 52 verses. You'd be meditating in the law day and night. Somebody says, I'm not good at memory work. What if you flunked and you memorized 25? It'd be 25 more than you already know. You'd be meditating in the law of God day in and day out. Have you heard of what's been called phantom vibration syndrome? Maybe this has happened to you before. It's this idea that people sometimes think their phones are vibrating when they really don't. That ever happened to you? You think, I thought my phone vibrated. They say, they're saying that it's sort of a textile hallucination. Your brain is sending a notification to you saying that your phone has vibrated when it really hasn't. And it's all because you've interacted with your phone so often that you just anticipate that it will. Imagine interacting with the Bible so much that it sounds as if Jesus is speaking audibly directly to you, though he's not. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them and they were the rejoicing of my heart. What if you had a verse of the week? What if you pray your Bible reading? Whatever your Bible reading is for the day, take an aspect of that and add it into every prayer you pray. Whether it's over your food, before you go to bed, whatever it is, you take a statement of faith from your Bible reading. And every time you pray that day, you work something back in from Scripture. Learn to pray the words of the Bible. It'll help you to meditate day and night. Listen to the Bible on audio. We memorize song lyrics that we never plan to read simply because we hear them and we listen. And the Bible, the same thing can happen. People in the ancient world didn't read silently. If you did, you were supremely educated. Most people just read out loud because as you engage all of the senses, eyes and ears and heart, it helps the word of God to stick. But if you read the Bible out loud, read it out loud as you're at home or as you're at your study and engage with scripture. None of these are law. These are all suggestions to say to be the God approved person. You need to engage regularly like the Bereans who meditated in the law. They searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Acts 17 and verse 11. And that has to be true about you and about me. Here's number three. He reaps the blessings and prosperity that God offers. Psalm one and verse three. The Bible says he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf won't wither and all that he does. This individual prospers. Now, stick with verse three. It's important that you see what the psalmist is saying and what he's not saying. He's saying that an individual is just like a tree whose roots are sunk down into the riverbed of soil and it prospers and brings forth fruit. Blessed is the person whose spiritual roots are like that in God. 
But listen, the tree doesn't bear forth fruit as a reward for being planted by the streams of water. It's just simply a consequence of that being the case. If you gas up your car, you'll be able to go to work this week. It's going to cost you a lot of money, but you'll be able to go to work this week. You'll be able to travel. When your car works and you get from point A to point B, that is not a reward for gassing up your car. It's simply a consequence of having done so. If you exercise, you'll be in shape. It's not a reward for exercise. It's just the consequence of having exercise and put your body through that rigorous activity. Blessed is the person that meditates in scripture day and night. Verse three is not your reward from God. It's just the consequence. What else did you expect? That tree's been by water. Of course, it'll bring forth fruit. Her heart has been in scripture. Of course, she's going to bring forth fruit. It's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Hold your hand in Psalm one and go to Jeremiah 17. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 8, Jeremiah evidently knew this psalm because in Jeremiah 17 and verse 8, he also describes someone who has their roots planted in God. And there are two responses to this. This person is not fearful of the heat that destroys and also is someone who is not anxious. Why this confidence? Why this rigor? Why this boldness? It's because this is the path of the blessed that leads to reaping blessings and prosperity. Psalm 1 and verse 3 and Jeremiah 17 and verse 8 echo each other as they talk about the blessed life. This person's life, this individual, they're hit with storms just like everybody else. They struggle and go through hardship just like everybody else. Never let anybody tell you that faith is a shield or a defense from hardship. Some of the times that's true, but not always. But the reality is this person's leaf does not wither. What does that mean? They built their life on a solid foundation and come what may, it will stand. Jesus says, you remember Matthew 7, 24 through 27. I like my teachings unto a man which built his house on a rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house. It didn't fall. Why? Because it was founded on a rock. That's not a reward. That's a consequence. But the foolish person hears my sayings and doesn't do them. The rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow, and that house falls, and great's the fall of it. Why? They built on the wrong foundation. The pathway of the blessed is to say to you and to me, we'll enjoy a life of prosperity and blessing to the degree that we build our lives on the right things. God wants you and me to flourish as humans, and we get to decide if that's going to be our lot based on what we do and how we choose. The end of verse 3 is not the ancient Near Eastern version of the prosperity gospel. In all that he does, he prospers. People like Job and Paul and even Jesus had enough reversals in their lives that we know it doesn't always work out in this life for the blessed. But it does mean in every undertaking this person engages in, they successfully see it through to the end and all that he does. He's successful. He prospers. And why? It's because his heart is rooted in God. This idea of a tree is one of God's favorite ways to teach spiritual truths. At the beginning of the Bible, there's the tree of life. We lost access to it because of sin. Genesis chapter 3, 22 to 24. In the New Testament, it says Jesus was hung and killed on a tree. Galatians 3 and verse 13. And at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 14 says we can regain access to the tree of life. And then right here in the middle of the Bible, there's another tree. And God's saying, even now, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven to enjoy life and to flourish. If you choose the pathway of the blessed, even right now. You can have a foretaste of that eternal tree of life to come because you've chosen to live wisely and to live well. Here's number four. The life of the blessed is someone who can remain standing in judgment. In verse four, it says not so with the wicked. This is a strong negation It's saying whatever you just read in verse three isn't true of this person. That's wicked. They're like the chaff, which the wind drives away and they won't stand in the judgment. 
You might draw an arrow in your Bible from verses four and five back up to verse one. Because they chose to stand with the wicked and sit with the scornful. Now they won't stand in the judgment when it really matters the most. This person's lost all hope, but not the blessed person. They remain standing in the judgment. Sometimes people say you've made this bed and now you must lie in it. The bed that the ungodly lie in is a thorny and prickly bed. And it's all because of the choices they made. Do not sow to the flesh. You'll reap destruction. But instead, sow to the spirit. And from the spirit, you'll reap life everlasting. You'll stand bold in judgment and be unashamed. Restaurants sometimes have these grades. Maybe you've seen them. Maybe you don't want to see them at your favorite restaurant, but they have them. It's all about their food temperature, cleanliness, everything they do. They're graded A to F. And they're supposed to post these for everybody to see. You can imagine the people that do well. They proudly post theirs right on the door so everybody can see it. And the others, well, you've got to ask them for theirs. This is the person's life who is described as blessed. This person can stand in the judgment. It's like the person who does well in school, who's prepared. They don't think they're better than anybody else. But report card is their favorite day of the year because it's in that moment that they finally will see the fruit of their work come out in print and everybody will know all of their labor wasn't in vain. The blessed person doesn't have his heart beating out of his chest on the day of judgment or his knees knocking in fear. He already knows what he's going to hear. She already knows. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Not because of anything good necessarily that they've done, but they've chosen to put their trust in the one who says, I'll be condemned for you. I'll be treated as unjust so you can be justified. Come to me and be blessed. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 and notice this idea is taught from cover to cover in Scripture that we will in the end reap the decisions that we choose to make. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that everyone may receive the things that he's done in his body according to what he's done, whether good or whether bad. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14 says God will bring every work into the judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. The blessed person in this psalm will be ushered into eternity. And when they get there, they'll be able to stand in the judgment. And Paul says it'll be based partly on deeds, whether you've done good or bad. This psalm of wisdom that's saying, hey, there are two paths to choose. We should be thinking about the judgment because we will be there. You will be there and I'll be there and we'll be judged based on how we behaved. And here's the last thing on the pathway to being blessed. The psalmist says you'll be recognized by the Lord. It says the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The blessed person is known by the Lord. What does that mean? It means that though they may feel or seem forgotten by the world, God knows them and that's enough. God knows those that are his. Second Timothy two in verse 19 and his stamp of approval is on his people. The path to the blessed means ultimately that God will acknowledge you as his child and as belonging to him. It's what Tolkien says in the Lord of the Rings. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards to be known by God means more than anything else. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. And this blessed person in this psalm underline it. Verse six, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. You might have Life 360 on your phone or some sort of mechanism so that you know where your loved ones are at all times. God doesn't need Lifeway 360. He knows where his people are. He doesn't just know their way. He is their way. So he knows them well. He knows everything about them. John 14 and verse six, Jesus says, I am the way. And when you choose that way, you are known and affirmed and blessed by God. It's the blessed way to live. We call this sermon in Psalm 1 the blessed life, but considering the options, it's the best life. It's the only way to truly live and enjoy life and flourish as God would have us to. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
This verse says to you and to me, sometimes somebody comes to you and they'll say, hey, do you know this person? Maybe in conversation people say to me, hey, have you ever heard of this person or this congregation? And we might say something like this, either A, I don't know them, or maybe, yeah, that name sounds familiar. I've heard of them before. Psalm 1 and verse 6 says, if you choose the wise and blessed way to live, your name doesn't just sound familiar to God. It sounds like family. He knows you because his name is yours. You cry out to him, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 7 and 8. You're in his fold. And he pronounces you as well received. It means that when this life comes to a close, you don't die and fade off into nothingness. It doesn't mean that you're going to surrender all your earthly status. Psalm 1 and verse 6 says for the blessed person, what ultimately is going to happen to you as you encroach upon life's end is you're not going to fade off into oblivion. You're going to press into deeper intimacy, into a relationship with the Lord who knows you best. Psalm 139 verses 1 and 2 says, oh, Lord, you know me. You know me from afar off. You know my down sitting and my uprising. You know me thoroughly. How does God know the psalmist? I've meditated in his law day and night. I've mumbled his words on my soul throughout my earthly sojourn. We've been in constant communication and conversation. And when I finally meet the author of this divine book of instruction, he'll know me even more so than I know him. The book of Psalms can be called a praise manual. And I told you at the beginning, the word blessed here doesn't mean God's going to give you stuff. It's the way of saying in the Bible, in some context, congratulations. Good for you. High five. You've chosen well. But here's what you've got to ask yourself as you read these six verses. Who in this psalm is pronouncing the congratulations? And there's only one answer. It's the divine congratulations. God stamps this person's life with approval as he chooses to stay out of the company of the wicked and don't practice sin. As he meditates in the law day and night, she flourishes like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Her life brings forth fruit, and it just makes sense because she's chosen to do the right things. When judgment comes, evaluation, not afraid or ashamed, and God knows them by name. Maybe you want part of the blessed life. God lets us choose. God has a lot of things he wants to give us, but we get to choose if what's said in Psalm 1 will ultimately be said about us. If you read Psalm 1 from a backwards perspective, you realize Jesus was treated as cursed so that we could be treated as blessed. He was the one who was treated as if he was in the company of the sinners, though he was sinless. He meditated in the law day and night, and every time he quoted scripture, they say, you've misapplied that. His life ultimately led him to be hung on a tree so you and I wouldn't have to. And he cried out in anguish on the cross, my God, my God, you've abandoned me, so that the Lord could know you and ultimately know me. All he asks in return is for our faith to be solidified in him, to trust in him, obey his gospel, have our sins forgiven and live as a billboard of grace for all the world to see, to live in the pathway of the blessed. Maybe you need to obey the gospel. You know what the New Testament says and you're ready to respond in a way that pleases God and will have him add your name to the book of life. Maybe you've already done that and you need the prayers of the saints. You found yourself in the company of the wicked. You found yourself standing in the seat of the scornful. Do not be deceived. It will not end well. You will reap what you sow. God saying, repent and come home before destruction carries you off. And the end of Psalm 1 and verse 6 be yours. You ultimately be destroyed. If we can pray for you or pray with you, if we can encourage you in the way of the blessed. Ken's going to lead us. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.